Hey there, and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Hank Taylor, the digital pastor here at the Foundry, and I want to take a quick second before we get started to welcome you and let you know we are so glad that you chose to make us a part of your faith journey this week. We're in an awesome series called Teleos, a brief guide to something we like to call here at the Foundry as God's intended reality for your life. We explore how you can be complete as God is complete, and we can't wait to share it with you. We want to encourage you, share this podcast if with anybody you know, friends, family, and we would love to see you for one of our in-person services in Central Florida on a Sunday morning. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and turn it over to our preaching team who is excited to bring you this incredible message. Good morning. Good morning. I am so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Seth, this is The Foundry, and we are all about a better you and a better world. Wanna give a big shout out to Mr. Hank Taylor for doing a great job last week. Uh, Yeah, yeah. um, Opening the door on a difficult conversation of church trauma and stuff, and I'm I'm grateful for his heart for people, I'm grateful for his heart for healing, and hopefully, uh, if you've come from some of that background, you will find that The Foundry is a... It's an okay place to try to heal, so uh, I'm grateful for his, uh, that, that conversation. Uh, also, I want to give a huge, huge, huge shout out to, to you guys for your generosity of resources, your generosity of time, all your hard work concerning the free garage sale. So I want to thank you to the, you guys. Um, it's it just absolutely incredible to see like not only what was given, but also the people that were here to like set up the day before, the people that were there to work the thing, and then the people that were there to close the thing, and a really, really, really big shout out to the people that were there for all of it. Um, just, I'm so very grateful that I get to be a part of this body of believers that believe in generosity and that are participating in helping the world to be a better place. So I'm grateful, so very grateful for all of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You could applaud for yourselves even. I don't mind that. <laughs> Let me applaud you guys for, you know, there you go, there you go. So we are in week six of our series called Telios, a not so brief guide to God's intended reality for your life. And we've gone through like a couple weeks already. We're kind of like just past midway. We're on the downhill side of things. We've talked about God. We've talked about the self. This week and next week, we'll be talking about others, and then the final two weeks, we'll be talking about creation. If you haven't been here, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the story of creation, and in the story of creation, what you see is what we call, or is what's called like shalom, completeness, wholeness, what we call God's intended reality, and what does it look like to live and be a human in the world? And so what we see is that there are these four key, four essential relationships in that story that is a picture of God's intended reality. We see that there is the proper relationship to God. It's behind me here, self, others, and creation. And so we've been going through all that. We've done God. We've done uh, the self. Now we're moving on to others. So... um, In order to understand what it means to have the proper relationship with others and the importance of being in relationship with others, what you have to understand first is a couple things. Uh, You have to understand the nature of God, and then you have to understand the nature of nature, and this will help us in our understanding of what it means to have the proper relationship with others. So let's start with the nature of God. 
Okay, from the Christian tradition, we believe in this thing called the Trinity, that God is one, but God is three. There's this one divine being that is made up of three different components. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Okay, so let's look at this in the story of creation. In Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we see a picture of God and the Spirit. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you have God the Father, God the Spirit. Now the Son shows up, but he's not quite as obvious in this opening story. You have to go to the book of John, John chapter one, verse one, where John is introducing us to Jesus, but he's doing it in such a way that he's connecting it to the story of creation. Okay, so look at this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the Son is part of creation, not quite as obvious. Uh, John identifies Jesus as the Word who was with God from the very beginning through whom all things were made. So creation then, according to the story of the Bible, is brought into existence through this divine being who is one, who is simultaneously three, which is to say that the core of who God is, the core of the divine, is relationship. And then creation is brought forth out of this relationship. God, who is identified as love, is in relationship and community with God's self, and the result of this relationship and, and community is that new life, new life and all of creation has been brought into existence. What we have to understand about the nature of this three-in-one God is that this three-in-one God is the original community, okay? So now, let's talk about the nature of nature. At the core of everything that exists in the entirety of the universe sits the smallest unit of ordinary matter that we refer to as the atom, right? The atom is the building blocks of life. Everything that, that is is made up of a relationship of atoms. I am made up of atoms. You are made up of atoms. The stand, the chairs you're sitting, the building that we sit in, it's all made up out of atoms. Now, obviously, if you remember anything from like science or grade school or anything, when you get into this stuff, the atom is not just one thing, but the atom is one thing with multiple things within it. Right? It's the smallest unit of ordinary matter, but we've discovered that there are smaller things within that thing. So an atom consists of different parts, proton, neutron, electron. So the atom is one, but the atom is also three. What they've also discovered is that two of these three particles that, that make up the atom are actually uh, have an electric charge, an electric charge. So they are in themselves, an atom in and of itself is a relationship of energy. Now, the, the amount of energy in each thing is dependent upon the element in which it sits, but it doesn't change the fact that it is itself a relationship of energy. We can't escape the reality of this connection and this relationship. An atom is a relationship of energy, and it's in relationship with other atoms, which are relationships of energy, which make up the entirety of the universe. It's, it's pretty wild. This thing that is one, but is also three, that is this relationship of energy that is in relationship with all other atoms to make up everything that is. It's almost like everything that is is a giant relationship. So the nature of God is relationship. The nature of nature is relationship. Let's talk a little bit about the nature of you. 
Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Both the masculine and the feminine come from this same God who is three, who is one. So you were made in the image of the original community that is God. God is one, but God is three. There's three components to his oneness, which is to say that you were made in the image of this divine relationship. You were also made up of atoms. Each atom contains three particles to form its oneness and contains a certain amount of energy, which is to say that you are made up of a relationship of these tiny relationships of energy. So the nature of God is relationship. The nature of nature is relationship. You are made in the image of relationship, and you are made up of relationship. And and if you want to take it one step further, not only are you created in the image of relationship, and not only are you made up of relationship, your physical being was created out of a relationship, right? That night that your parents went out to dinner and they shared that bottle of Cabernet, (laughs) you're welcome for that image. (laughs) You're made in the image of relationship. You're made up of relationship. You're made out of relationships. Relationship is not just at the heart of the universe. The universe is relationship. There's no way for anything to exist in isolation. Isolation, in fact, stands in direct opposition to God's intended reality. This is why feelings of loneliness feel, we we feel them so very deep within our being. This is why we ache when we hear stories about people losing friends and losing loved ones. This is why things like Maybe even solitary confinement in the prison system is such a brutal form of punishment. Because the universe is relationship and we are made in the image of relationship and we are made up of relationship, we are deeply aware of and highly in tune to anything that attempts to separate us from this elemental reality of how God created the universe. You see, our understanding of the individual nature must be understood through the context of the greater scope of creation, through the greater scope of the relationship that sits at the heart of all things. In fact, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus gives the two greatest commandments. You're familiar with these? Just in case you're not, they'll be up here. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So not only does this statement, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, speak to everything that we're kind of talking about today, but when you put these two commands together, what you see is that they actually line up with the four key, four essential relationships that we've been talking about this whole time. They line up with God's intended reality. Think about it, the proper relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The proper relationship to the self. Love your neighbor as yourself. In order to love others properly, you have to first love yourself properly. And we're not talking about like being a jerk, er egotistical, arrogant sort of way. We're talking about understanding the wholeness of the self. We're talking about stepping away from shame and and all this stuff. Okay, what about a proper relationship with others? Love your neighbor as yourself. Once you begin to love yourself, then you can properly love others the way that you would want to be loved. 
What about creation? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and soul. Part of the way that we express our love to God is through the obedience to his instructions. And the instructions from the very beginning of the story of creation start with, hey, I'm giving you this role to take care of this thing that I've created. You have this responsibility. You have this responsibility over this place. You get to enjoy it, but you also have to take care of it and maintain it. Right, so within the two greatest commandments, we actually see the connection to the four essential relationships of God's intended reality and what it means to be whole and complete, what it means to be fully human the way that God created us to live. So, second greatest commandment. That's what we're paying attention to today. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there are two important components at play here, obviously, the self and the other, right? The depth and significance of this passage, I think sometimes... I think we've actually watered it down a little bit. We've made it to like this just religious nicety. It's just to be, be kind to one another, just, you know, be, be thoughtful of each other. But it's so, much, it's so much bigger. In order to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to first love yourself, right? Again, not in an arrogant sort of way, not in an egotistical, like in a whole sort of way. And it's not until you love yourself that you will able to fully be able to love others. And it's the loving of the self that leads to the proper loving of others, which then puts you in line with God's intended reality. What this reveals to us, what this shows us, I think, what it reminds us of is that we are all connected. We're all connected. It's all connected. And when you truly come to understand the oneness of all things, you will also come to understand that there's really no such thing as other. There's no such thing as them. It's, it's us. We are. We are one. Whether we believe it or not, we can't escape God's intended reality. God's intended reality connects everything and every one. There's this really interesting phenomenon. Maybe you've heard of this. It's called um, simultaneous invention or multiple discovery. Have you heard of this thing? It's this idea that two or more people or parties discover something or come to the same conclusion about something in our world at like kind of the same time, around the same time period, but that they have no connection to each other. Like they're totally separate. They're isolated from each other and from each other's work, and yet somehow they come to the same conclusion about something independently. It's kind of like if you've ever had a good idea for something, like, a, like an invention or something that you've come up with, and you're like, man, if, I, I wish we could make this. I could make a lot of money. It would make my life easier. It would help people out, whatever. And then you go to the store, and then you see it on the shelves at Walmart. You know what I'm saying? You ever had this moment? My wife told me that when she was in junior high, she invented the, uh, the clear refrigerator front door. That's a thing now. <laughs> That's a thing now. So this stuff is kind of happening all the time. Is it just like coincidence that this kind of stuff happens, that you had this idea, but then you realize that somebody else had this idea and already got to it first? Is this just that you know, we're all working off the same stuff so that the people that have gone before us and generations, they've brought a certain amount of stuff to the table and we're working out of that, so we're all kind of painting off the same palette, so to speak? Or, or does it have something to do with like a bigger thought that the universe is relationship and everything and everyone is connected to everything and everyone else? And so, of course, we're going to have some overlapping thoughts and ideas. Let me give you a few examples of this. Like, this happens in science and philosophy and religion. Let me show you this, a couple examples in the, in the world of science. In the 1600s, Isaac Newton and Gottfried Leibniz both discovered calculus. In the 1700s, 1770, Carl Wilhelm Scheele and Joseph Priestley both discovered oxygen. In 1800s, Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace both described theories of natural selection. 
In the 1830s, Louis de Gury and Henry Fox Talbot both invent photographic methods. In the 1950s, Jonas Salk and Albert Bruce uh, Sabin both invent the polio vaccine. In 2015, Takaki Kajita and Arthur B. McDonald are jointly awarded the Nobel Prize for finding that neutrinos have mass. Right, so I mean, this is, this is fascinating that these people are working, especially in, in the 16, 17, 1800s, before there's like mass communication in the world. They're working independently on their own. They have no idea about each other's work, and yet somehow they come to the same discovery and the same conclusions. And, and this doesn't just happen in, in, in science and philosophy. This happens in religion as well. Like, for example, if you take this, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, sometimes we, this gets called the golden rule, do unto others, you have the do unto you. This concept or this idea is found in multiple world religions, okay? Let me show you a few examples. From the, from the Buddhist, you have this, treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Love your neighbor as yourself. Islam, not one of you truly believes until you wish for others what you wish for yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Hindus, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Confucianism, one word which sums up the basis of all good conduct, loving kindness. I think that's two words, but they hyphenated it, so I don't know. Do not do to others what you do not want done to yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jainism, one should treat all creatures in the world as one would like to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. Judaism, and this, this one is so good, I, lo I love this one. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary, go and learn it. Yeah, how great is that? Uh, this is the whole Torah, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the whole Torah. Everything else is supporting this idea. The rest is commentary. You should go do that. Yeah, so again, is this some sort of coincidence or is this something more? Is, it, is this just basic logic that says if you have enough people in the world, eventually there will be an overlap and similar ideas or is there this like thread of connection and existence that runs through everything? How is it that different people at different times and different places with different worldviews all come to these similar ideas about the value of the self and about the value of other human beings and how you treat them and how you should treat them in a way that you yourself would want to be treated. Maybe it has something to do with this greater relationship that we're all a part of. Maybe by realizing the greater context of our existence, we will learn to live in harmony with one another. Maybe when we come to this idea of understanding the oneness of all things, we will come to see that not only is relationship at the heart of all things, but also that, that relationship with this relationship will be found in giving as much value and respect to the people around us and to the people in the world as we do to ourselves. There's this book that came out in 2011 called The Spirit Level, uh, Why Greater Equality Makes Society Stronger. And the underlying theme of the whole thing has to do with how we organize and structure our human communities. And so they took like 30 years of research and big data from like all around the world, from all different time frames, as much information and statistics as they could find, and they started to sort through it. And what they discovered was that in any given society, uh, most of the modern uh, uh, like social and environmental problems that we face uh, in, in our current societies there's this correlation that's really fascinating that 
when a society, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about Haiti or America or the Ukraine, wherever, anywhere in the world, in any given society, when there is a larger gap between the rich and the poor, there is this larger disconnection from one another, and things in those societies tend to be worse. The smaller the gap between the rich and the poor between a given society, the, th the, the better things seem to be. And so they found this really interesting correlation where they were looking uh, at, at the war in, in Great Britain. And what they saw was before the war, there was this large gap between the rich and the poor. Uh, and the, the wealthy were living to a certain age, okay? And the poor had this certain experience of life. During the war, when all the money was being diverted to the war efforts, and that gap actually closed a little bit, the rich and the poor were in closer proximity to one another. And what they noticed was the rich people actually began to live longer lives. And then the, the, the overall quality of life for the poor people also increased. Then after the war, when things settled and the economy started to boom again, the rich people got richer, the poor people got poorer, and that gap began to widen. And then what they saw was that the rich people's longevity actually went down, as well as did the overall wellness of the poor people. So there's like this really interesting thought that has to do with the connection of humanity and how like what's good for some of us, it's like should be good for all of us. It's like this deep sort of connection that we have, that there's something built into humanity that requires relationships. There's something deep within us which, uh, and which connections with one another will affect the quality of lives that we will have, even to the degree of affecting the longevity of life that we may have, right? Like this thing is so deep within us that we don't even realize that it's a thing. And yet, it has the power or potential to have this tangible effect on my physical human body and the amount of life that I'm able to experience. It's fascinating. There was also, and we've talked about this before, but there, there's been a few scientific discoveries and observations that have come to light fairly recently. One came from a biological research team in Bielefeld University, and they discovered uh, the ability of plants to transfer energy to one another. They took this green algae, which was like the single-celled plant life organism, and they, what they observed was the algae could itself uh, go through the process of, of, of photosynthesis, right, converting the light into the sugars and stuff that it needs to sustain itself. But if it wasn't able to do that or if it was sick, they had another source of energy and a way to sustain itself, and that was each other. What they discovered, what they were able to show was that these plant lives, these single-celled plant organisms, were literally able to transfer energy to one another without ever actually touching, which is fascinating. There's something about that relationship that they're able to support and feed off on each other, to, to, to help provide for each other. They actually believe now, and I think it's come out, that, that this happens in human beings too, that, that we're giving and taking and receiving energy, life, from one another. And, and actually, you, you know this to be true already. You, you know that this is a thing. You experience this all the time. Like when Nancy visits your office from accounting and she wants to talk to you about the new Halloween outfit she got for her cat and you feel yourself slowly dying on the inside. Do you, <laughs> you know this. You've experienced this. Or it's like if you've got kids and just the relentless calling of your name, mom, 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 oh my gosh, like these little energy leeches 
that are absorbing this, they're taking this from you. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, I, I think last time I talked about this, uh, some dear people in our church introduced me to a show that was really funny. Uh, so shout out to those guys. Uh, <laughs> and basically, it's, it's kind of like The Office, but it's about vampires. I'm not really into vampires, but it's like a funny, it's not like a scary, it's like a funny vampires. And they're living in New Jersey and they're supposed to be taking over the world, but they're not very good at it. So they have one vampire guy who's like the odd man out and he's an energy vampire. He's not like a regular one, so he's a day walker energy vampire. And so he can operate in normal hours, so he has a normal office job. So he will walk into to a cubicle and he'll just start talking about the most boring, abstract, arbitrary stuff. And you could see the people just like keeling over in their desk. He'll be like, oh, so what's your favorite pencil? Do you prefer number two or number three? I prefer number three. And they just go, oh my gosh. Like, and it just drains the entire energy of them. You know these types of people where you just feel like it, they're draining your energy. On the other hand, you, you also love to hang around Bill because Bill is a super positive guy. He's full of energy, he's full of excitement, and he seems to have like a sincere interest in who you are. And after spending 10 minutes with him, you can feel better. Like you, you feel great, you get pumped. Well, of course, because Bill isn't taking something from you, right? He's either balanced with you or he's contributing to you. He becomes a source of life for you. These are all things that are going on between the self and others that most of the time we don't even pay attention to. We don't realize it, we're not aware of it, and it's all these unseen underlying connections that we have with each other that confirm and affirm this unbreakable link between humanity and this greater relationship. So the nature of nature nature of God is relationship. The nature of nature is relationship. The nature of you is relationship. When you combine these thoughts and ideas with the idea of multiple discovery, with the idea of the spirit level, with the reality of living beings be able to, being able to transfer energy to one another, you really get to, you start to get a sense of this deeper connection and relationship that is found in all things. You may also start to get a sense that this whole like love your neighbor as yourself thing that Jesus says it might carry a lot more weight than we've actually given it. It might carry a lot more significance than sometimes it receives. It's like we've understood this whole thing to be a pretty good idea. It's something we teach our kids, yes, be kind to one another. Maybe we ourselves even subscribe to the idea that this is, in fact, a better way to live as a human being. But maybe what we've missed in all this is just how foundational and essential this teaching is to what it means to be human and what it means to be humans as we live and interact with other humans in this world and what it means to be human in regards to God's intended reality for our lives. Maybe, maybe when Jesus utters these words, love your neighbor as yourself, it's not just this religious nicety. Maybe when he utters these words, he's giving us this key to unlock this great mystery that is this, this greater reality of the universe that he has created, which seems to be that in this very real and tangible way, the whole thing is relationship. In this very real and tangible way, the whole thing is connected. And your particular experience of the life that you have been blessed with, the life that you have been given, will be entirely dependent upon whether or not you embrace this idea or whether you push back away from it. So if this is the case, which I, I believe it is, then maybe the next logical question for us is like, 
if my ability to love my neighbor as myself determines my relationship like with the whole of the universe, which is relationship, then I guess like, well, who's my neighbor? That's a good question. It's not an original question. It's a good question. In fact, somebody asked Jesus this in the Bible. In Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus gives an answer to this question by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. You may be familiar with it. Most people are familiar with this tale, the Good, the good Samaritan. It's, it's often used as news headlines. We like to talk about the stranger who helped another stranger. It's this nice thing. But the heart of that story is so much deeper than like man rescues cat from a tree. The, the Jews hated, hated, hated the Samaritans. And Jesus in that story makes the Samaritan the hero. Who is my neighbor? Well, ask the expert in the law. And Jesus essentially replies like, well, who, who is it that you hate? Who is it that you struggle to love? That, that's your neighbor. Oh, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. Lo, love those whom you struggle to love as you would want to be loved. By the way, did you know the teachings of Jesus are not for the faint of heart? This church stuff is hard. Yeah, it is. But I also believe it will lead to a better you and a better world. Now, let's take this a step further. Beyond the difficulty of actually trying to love those who are difficult to love, let's think about this whole thing in relation in light of the whole thing, okay? The whole thing is connection. The whole thing is relationship. The whole thing is one. It's come from the one who is one. So God is one, and all things were created out of his oneness. The nature of God is relationship. That God is one, that God is three. God is this original community, and you were created in the image and likeness of this God, this God who is relationship. The nature of nature is relationship. You have the atom, the building blocks of life, that is this one thing that contains these three things that is this relationship of energy, and this relationship of energy is in relationship with other tiny relationships of energy to create all that is. You were made in the image of relationship. You were made up of relationship, which is to say that your nature is relationship. When you combine these thoughts, again, to the idea of multiple discoveries, to the spirit level, to the idea that, to the reality that living beings can transfer energy to one another, you really get this deep sense of the connection and relationship that's found within all things. It's almost like because, thank you, it's almost like because... <laughs> Everything has come from the one who is one. Because of this, the natural state of reality, the homostasis for all things, is found in the proper relationship with all other things. The homostasis will be found when we engage in having the proper relationship with all other things. It's almost like because we've all come from the one source of the one God who is one, that the movement to love one another as the self is actually this much larger movement back to the oneness from which we have come. So loving the neighbor as self isn't just about a nice way to live. Loving the neighbor as self is about this movement, this larger movement to step into God's intended reality, to step into the thing that has been true and right from the very beginning. 
So if there is animosity, if there is hatred, if there is discord between the self and someone else, if there is something that divides or separates us from one another, religion, class, race, politics, gender, sexual orientation, general stereotypes, if there's anything that separates us from each other, then we are essentially out of sync with God's intended reality. When we designate somebody as them or the other, we are separating ourselves or we are separating them from the whole of the oneness that is who God is. And when we designate them or others and we separate ourselves or them from the oneness that God is, then we ourselves are stepping outside of God's intended reality. We're stepping outside of the fullness, of the completeness, of the fullness of life that we were created to experience as human beings. Isn't it Paul who said in Galatians chapter three, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no other in Christ. There are no labels in Christ. Because through him, we are all one. And he is one with the one who is one, who is, relation, who is a relationship of oneness that you have been created in the image of. So the command to love your neighbor as yourself is to live in a way that there is no other, that there is no them, is to live with a sense of wholeness in the universe that is a relationship of relationships. To love your neighbor as yourself is to live in a way that brings all aspects of all of our lives forward, closer, more together, into the oneness with each other, to the oneness with the one who was one, which is ultimately God's intended reality for your being. It actually sounds a bit like something else Paul says in the book of Romans. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Yeah, but what if they voted for the other side? But what if they have a different opinion on this whole mask vaccine thing? But what if they don't understand the Bible the way I understand the Bible? But what if they have a different concept and idea about how the government should function? 
how quickly do we jump to them and they and the other when it comes to the stuff of life? How quickly do we move from this idea of love your neighbor as yourself until it's something that we think is actually important? And then all of a sudden, those things seem to take priority over the thing that God's word is calling us to. As far as it is up to you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. To live at peace is to remove barriers. To remove barriers is to provide a space for people to come together. And it's in the coming together that we step into the fullness of the humanity that is God's intended reality. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the proper relationship to the relationship that is all things. There is no such thing as them, as they, as the other. It's in the stepping into this understanding that there is no other, that you will be complete the way that your heavenly Father is complete. We're gonna go into our time of communion now. I'm gonna ask the ushers to go ahead and get up and get ready. I'm even gonna ask them, if you guys would, go ahead and start passing. Just go ahead and start making your way through the crowd. What we're gonna do is a little bit, little bit different. We've done something like this before. I'm gonna ask them to pass. I'm gonna ask you to take the bread and the juice. I'm gonna ask you to hold it. Because what I wanna do today is I want us to participate in this sacred meal together as one. They're gonna pass. I'm gonna say a few things. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing a song. Then we're gonna, we're gonna do a communal prayer together. Then we will take the, the bread and the juice together, okay? So once you get it, hang tight. I love this idea. As we're talking about love your neighbor as yourself, we're talking about one, the table, this meal, the body and the blood of Jesus that we take at this time. This is an invitation for us to come to be united in this moment that we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are united through Christ, that we are one through Christ, that through him in this moment, there are no labels, there are no separation, there are no barriers. We come as one people. We are the body. Though we are many parts, we are one body. So we wanna take time today and we wanna step into the oneness. We wanna step into the togetherness. We wanna embrace our unity we start as individuals before the meal. We come to the table. We participate in the meal together, and we melt into the one body that is the church, the bride of Christ. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So Joe and Van are gonna sing. Hold on to your juice and your bread. We're gonna do a prayer, and then we'll take of this together.